And it's the same for us when we tell a story. We have to be fully involved in the story. We have to be fully emotionally invested in the story. It makes us a bit vulnerable, and that's okay. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse. And today, my guest is Paul Furlong. Paul, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Matt. How are you? I am doing exceptional. It's a bright, sunny day. I can't wait to get into it because I love talking about storytelling. And I want to read your bio so people know a little bit more about you before we get started. Paul is a global authority on corporate storytelling, having combined his storytelling knowledge and experience from the film and TV industry with his sales and marketing expertise and know-how from his corporate work. He's the author of Rule the World, Master the Power of Storytelling to Inspire, Influence, and Succeed, and regularly gives public and corporate seminars and conducts live virtual training programs on storytelling. Paul, first off, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the book Rule the World? Absolutely. So uh, Rule the World is a book about the difference that we can make in not only our lives, but in the lives of other people when we tell well-told stories. So if you think about the common factor between all of the inspiring leaders of the past and the influential marketeers of the past and the great salespeople of the past, the one common thing that they all shared was their ability to tell stories. And there is an element of art, isn't there, to a well-told story, but there is also a great deal of craft. And because there's a great deal of craft, it means that good storytelling can be learned, it can be practiced, and it can be perfected. So the book delves into uh, why storytelling is so powerful, uh, how to structure your story for maximum impact, how to engage emotionally and create connection with your audience, how to take your storytelling to the next level, how to collect stories, and how to ensure that storytelling permeates your entire organization to shape its culture and its perception. That's it in a, in a nutshell, really. In a nutshell. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, I know that at least in kind of the small business marketing world and, you know, freelancers and startups, that kind of thing, people get bombarded with the kind of thin content of, you know, LinkedIn and Medium and stuff like that. They read all these articles and everybody's like, tell stories, tell stories, tell stories. Nobody tells people how to craft a story. I mean, short of maybe, I mean, there's a couple books out there, maybe like somebody follows like story brand or something, they might get the absolute basics, but you're not going to get much farther than that. I guess my question to you here is why is it so important for people to tell good stories and how do you get better at telling a good story? Um, so the first part is why is it so important? And, and that's because we've been conditioned to tell and hear and connect with stories since the very dawn of humankind. If you think back to the very earliest communication in humankind that was done by telling stories, it was done by uh, paintings, cave paintings. You think back to the uh, the first cave paintings or the earliest cave paintings we found in in uh, in France, in Lascaux, in um, in the in the Philippines. They tell stories, and and those stories were were created somewhere between seventeen thousand and thirty seven thousand years ago, and that was around about the time that modern language as we know it today was was evolving to the to the point where we we can communicate as we do today. So both language and visual storytelling all 
kind of evolved at the same time. So it's so important. And when you think about um, the hunter-gatherer society and you look at all of the, the use of language in hunter-gatherer society, both the hunter-gatherer societies today and back through time, the language that was used during daylight was very much information giving language. About 90% of it is information. Do this, do that, do this, do that. But once fire was created and, and the, day, the day was extended into night where people could sit around the fire, the use of language shifted. So it became about 90% storytelling. And that's when stories of, about the day were told. That was about when people learned about the history of the tribe. It was when people learned about uh, other tribes that were, were in the locality. And, and that's when the tribe started to expand and trade started to happen between the, the tribes as well. And so we've been conditioned from very, very early in our evolution to tell stories. And that's obviously evolved through novels, through films, through adverts, through everything. So we are quite used to collecting, remembering, retaining information through storytelling. And if you, if you look into politics, if you look into any, any way of that storytelling is, is done, if you just blast people with all kinds of uh, facts and figures, take uh, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, for example, in the, in the, the 2016 election. Hillary Clinton was, and there's no political bent to this, I'm not coming down on any particular side, but Hillary Clinton was just bashing people with facts and figures and, and policies. And Donald Trump was telling stories. And we all know how that ended. And that was down to the fact that his stories were, uh, were generating emotion in people, whereas the facts and figures, they don't really stick, they don't really generate anything. And so facts and figures tend to lead to conclusions, Whereas stories that generate emotion lead to action. And so stories are far more powerful because of that history that we have as a species going all the way back to the beginning of our evolution. You know, there's an interesting thing that happened during that election. I lived in the United States at the time. And, you know, kind of a, a marketing and advertising post-mortem about that election that was super interesting was that Hillary Clinton and her staff were basically kind of preaching to the choir. They were like, here's our base of people that are going to vote for us. We're going to tell them all of the things that they want to hear and they're all be happy and they'll all go out and vote for me. And on in the, the Trump Republican camp, which I still don't know how he won the actual nomination, but that's a whole nother episode. He was telling stories to a demographic of people who almost never voted because all of the other people on the Republican side had already hated Hillary Clinton and they were going to vote for whoever the opponent was anyway. So he was telling stories to a specific demographic of people and that knowing your audience of who you're going to tell your story to, I think was the story of how that election was won. Yeah. And that, and that's really, really important. And that's part of how to tell the story. I go into in the book, um, which I suppose begins to answer your your second question: How you kind of tell a good story and make sure that it's uh, having an impact and delivering the results that you need it to have, rather than just going out there and saying you need to tell a story and then kind of just leaving people to to work out how to do that. So <clears throat> you've got to start with your audience in mind. You need to know who they are, and that leads on to beginning with the end in mind. So uh, you need to know what outcomes you want before you start telling the story. Otherwise, you, you're going to end up, you, you could have, you could tell a brilliant story and then realize you've told a story that's leading you somewhere else. 
So knowing your audience and knowing what outcomes you want right at the beginning are very, very important. You also need to be able to grab attention right at the beginning of your story. If, if you're kind of you're hooking your attention, grabbing bits in the middle, then you'll have lost half your audience right at the beginning. Um, or if, you're, if your hook is right at the end, then you'll have lost the majority of your audience before you've finished telling your story. So you need to grab attention right at the beginning. That might be by asking a question or being controversial or starting with a, a famous phrase, something like that, but really grab attention. And you need to then make sure that your story is well-structured. So I'm sure every single one of us in primary school was taught that a story has a beginning and a middle and an end. And that is true. Um, but there is there are more... There are more structure points to a story than just a beginning, a middle and end. And any screenwriter that you speak to, any novelist that you speak to will tell you that the middle of the story is often where people start to lose interest and the story tends to, to wane a little bit. So you can tell a story that has nine structural points or a story that has 12 structural points. And so in the book, we go into a lot more detail about that. And that's how you really keep people engaged within your story now if you're just doing a, a quick linkedin post probably beginning middle end works really well if you're doing a, a 30 minute talk on the stage you're probably going to want to aim for all 12 of those points um which follows the hero's journey um that joseph campbell uh, talked about in all of his research and that's that's really really important you also want to know why you're bothering telling the story so what why are people going to be interested that's really really important and you want to make sure once you know why people are interested, you want to really hook them in with the emotion. We've just talked about Donald Trump. He made sure that emotion was part of every single story that he told from Make America Great Again into, into all the other stories, whether it's a positive or a negative emotion. If, if the, the emotion in the story doesn't shift from positive to negative or negative to positive and backwards and forwards, then you haven't really got a story. Uh, Robert McKee, who's a brilliant uh, screenwriting guru, about 50 of his uh, clients have gone on to win Oscars, um, which tells you just how good he is. Um, he says, if, if the emotion doesn't shift within the story, there is no story. You're not telling a story. You're just telling this kind of plain uh, sequence of events. It just becomes narrative rather than story. So you've got to have emotion that shifts. Um, and you mentioned the book Story Brand before. They talk about who the hero of the story is. That's the, the whole, it's a brilliant book, and it's, that's the whole of that book. But you need to know who the, who the hero of the story is. And then I talk about 11 C's to connect. So 11 English words that all begin with the letter C that you need to include in your story to make it as compelling as possible. So that's character, who's in it. Stephen King says that the best stories are always about people rather than the events that happened. It's how the people react to the events that make the story so uh, so interesting. Then we need to talk about the circumstance. Uh, so where were you? And then the context. So why were you where you were? What is so in... What got you to where you were? Was it something that you did? Was it something that somebody else did? Did they ask you to be there? And in business, you might have caused the problem or someone else might have been in such dire straits that they just really needed your help and you'd been recommended to them. So what, what brought you to there? And then conflict is the fourth C. And again, like emotion, if there's no conflict, you don't have a story because without the conflict, you can't move those emotions up and down and backwards and forwards and between negative and positive and positive and negative. So there must be conflict for there to be a compelling story. Then you need to talk about cure. So there's a, there must be a cure applied to the conflict. And that's often where the business itself comes in. So um, what did your business do to cure the conflict? And as a result of that cure, what changed? And then because we live in such a fast paced society, we need to talk about the carry-out message. 
So why have you told the story in the first place? Explain to people why you've just told the story that you've told and then call them to action. And then there's three things that you probably want to drop into the story along the way just to spice it up a little bit. So a little bit of conversation, one or two phrases of dialogue at the most uh, emotionally compelling moments, probably at that bit main bit of conflict. You want to add a little bit of comedy in. We don't want it to be hilarious if it's a really sad story, but we still want that little bit of comedy which will heighten the emotional elements. And we want to add a little bit of curiosity in. So a few questions here and there. We might want to set the story up with a little bit of a trailer at the beginning. Something like, I'm going to tell you the time about when I escaped a bear in the middle of the woods. Something like that. And then you start the story back from the beginning and you tell the rest of the story. Or you might get halfway through the story and say, but I'm going to come back to that later. And then you go somewhere else in the story and then come back to that moment later. So just adding those bits of curiosity to pe- keep people hooked. Tease it a bit. Tease it a little bit. That's it. So they're the 11 C's to help people connect. And then it's just about good rhetoric, good writing, adding uh uh, just really well-told elements to the story, and that just comes to practice and reading. So that's the that's the way of structuring really well-told stories. And obviously, um, if you can do that in really short stories on LinkedIn and stuff like that, then that's going to be brilliant. Don't forget, Donald Trump did make America great again, and he got nine of the eleven C's in those four words. So he's he's pretty good at it. So you can certainly get eleven into a LinkedIn post. And of course, uh, if you're standing on stage delivering a presentation in a sales meeting, in uh, in copy for a website or a blog, something like that, it's just a tick box exercise as you go. Oh, have I have I got conversation in here? Have I added enough curiosity? Have I got my why right at the beginning? Do I know exactly uh, why someone's going to care about this story? Just go through it and make sure it's all there. And within the book, we talk about lots of different examples about how to do it and, and what have you. But th- that's the basic structure of how to tell a really good, really compelling story that's going to move people to your way of thinking by the time they've finished reading it. I really found uh, when I first kind of started digging more into storytelling from a business perspective that it was even just a little bit of story was completely an outlier in almost every industry, Right. Just making the effort to try to tell a story was more than almost any other competitor was doing, right, in most industries. And you'll hear this often, especially I know that, you know, we talked about a, a bit about politics and I'm going to have to get my guy to bleep Trump's name a few times. I don't want to get my <laughs> podcast labeled as political, but uh, it's something that happens in political speeches. You can go back like a hundred years and it still has it in political speeches where somebody always says, I was out in such and such place, you know, and I was in Massachusetts and I ran into this, this mother of four. And she said, you know what, Matt, Uh, we just can't survive on this wage anymore. And, you know, they tell this this story from someone's perspective of uh, how their policies were going to help this constituent live a better life. And they don't just come out and say, I'm going to raise the minimum wage 50 cents. You know, they have the story told from the perspective of someone who is their, for sake of a better word, client avatar, right? Who is their, who is their person that they're writing the story for. And also another thing that I found super interesting is, is starting at the action is something that I learned fairly early on that's, that's kind of served me well. And the example that I was given 
was the story doesn't start with James Bond getting up in the morning, having a shower, deciding what he's going to wear, you know, going to the coffee shop, (laughs) you know, that kind of stuff. It starts with him like bungee jumping off the Hoover Dam or something, right? It starts at the action. And I think that's a really good way to think about your storytelling, that it doesn't have to go to the absolute beginning, you know, and and if that part is important to the story, you can always tell it later. You know, you want to kind of get to the hook right away and hook them in so that they'll read the rest of your story. Yeah, well, I mean, 100%. So my, my favorite, I've got two favorite openings to films where they just get straight into the action. One of them is The Dark Knight, where they're robbing the bank and the Joker gets into the car and you've got the, the wires coming down with all the different clowns and the clown masks. That's straight into the action. You've got no clue what's going on, but immediately there's that curiosity and you just want to know. And I think that's brilliant. But that scene was completely stolen from the Michael Mann film Heat uh, to the point where William Fitchner uh, was cast as the bank manager in The Dark Knight, who's in Heat. And the, the opening in Heat is amazing. It's so meticulous as well. And it's just because you've got no clue what's going on. You start to get the idea that there's a bank robbery going on, but it's just a brilliant way of opening a film. And in, in screenwriting and any screenwriting class that you might do, in every scene, that's the rule. Get in late, get out early. So you don't need to see someone walk in through the door unless they walk in through the door partway through the scene to interrupt the scene, to add conflict to it. You don't need to see anybody saying hi and hello and goodbye. And when you're writing dialogue, uh, and, I, and I've done this and it, and it works every single time, you, you, you do your first draft and you write dialogue. And on your second draft, you take the first two or three words out of every line of dialogue. And you can guarantee 90% of the time, the line of dialogue still makes sense. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's really good. It's really fun. You're talking about political speeches as well. Um, and I'm, I'm British, so I'm not political when it comes to America. So I'm just using these purely as examples, Trump and, and Hillary. And um, my favorite political speech, regardless of what, what side of the political spectrum you come down on, from a, purely from a storytelling point of view, it is worth having a look at uh, Barack Obama's fired up and ready to go speech that he delivered when he was out campaigning for Hillary. The way he tells it, the way he uses humor, the way that he uses the call to action, uh, which he follows up after the, the carry-out message, the way that he uses emotion and the way that he uses a story to get his message across. He could have just got his message across in 30 seconds, but instead he tells this kind of four-minute story. And it's, it's almost art in the way that he does it. It's just superb. And if, you, if, you, if you're not a fan of Barack Obama, and I understand that uh, lots of people aren't, then there's a, a, a non-political speech by Tyler Perry, the actor, called Points of Light. And that is just as good a speech, um, but it's not political at all. And it's very, very well worth listening to for all exactly the same reasons. There's uh, an interesting thing about, you know, when you talk about screenwriting and coming in late and leaving early, one structure that I thought was interesting to learn storytelling that I, I don't know actually where I picked it up from is they were saying to watch the show Friends, and it's always like the first five seconds is a zoom-in shot of either the coffee shop or the apartment or whatever, which sets the location. And then they're already sitting down on the couch having coffee, and one of them turns to the other, and they're like, what's wrong, Phoebe? And she's like, da-da-da-da-da, explains plot of whole show. 
right? Like it's immediately to the action and what's going on. And, and then you're sucked in right away in like six seconds. Cause you know, they're at the coffee shop. The people are there. They ask the other character what's wrong. Now you have to know what's wrong. Cause it's an open loop in your brain where your brain says, I got to find out what the answer to the question is. And now you're sucked into the rest of the story. Right. Absolutely. And open loops are so important when it comes to that curiosity. And that's why leading up to the ad break as well, friends, any, any show that has ad breaks, you've got that open loop where they, they leave you hanging on that cliff edge. And I think Charles Dickens was the first one to do that. Obviously anyone that had any book that had chapters, they would, the, the chapter would just kind of meander. But Charles Dickens was the first one who actively apparently left his chapters hanging on that cliff edge so that you'd have that open loop where you would just have to read on to the next chapter. But the open loop thing works really well as well in terms of memory. And you're more likely to remember what you've been told because that open loop is still open rather than just leaving it to close. So in your storytelling, if you can leave something dangling a little bit, then you're more, you're, your audience are more likely to remember it. So if you can leave something hanging a little bit in your LinkedIn stories or your, 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 your blogs or something like that, then um, they're more likely to remember you. You will be more memorable to them within that story um, than if you close everything up at the end. And we'll, we'll tell everybody where they could get your book in a minute. But first, <laughs> wait, that's an open loop. So in, um, and I was laughing about it. Now I forgot what I was going to say. So the open loop idea, like at the end of every you know chapter of a book or something, I found that Isaac Asimov books I read a lot when I was younger, they are really, really good at, at ending the chapter on kind of a cliffhanger. But then the next chapter starts with kind of another story about another character that's going on. And then that one will end in a cliffhanger before they go back to the other story. So there's these competing stories always going on. But another thing that I read uh, that was really interesting was that without emotion, the length of time that you will remember something, you know, is, is shorter. So, so the more emotional impact there is, the more you will remember it. And that's why you get that. And I know a lot of people talk about this, especially on like Facebook and Twitter and stuff. You see people saying, well, I, I was in the shower this morning thinking about that stupid thing I did 15 years ago at the office, you know, that you don't know any of the people anymore. You've never been there again. It has no impact on your life, but you're still thinking about it, right? It's because you're embarrassed. You know, when emotion is attached to something, it really has some, some strength to remember it. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. The open loops, the emotional impact of the story, the emotion having to change in the story and that structure that you can get good at, especially in writing or producing like video and audio content and stuff really helps. Um, if you had one more tip for somebody who's going to be, you know, maybe they're writing on LinkedIn or newsletters or something like that, what would that be? I think it's got to be that when you're telling your story, whether you're writing it, whether you're delivering it to video, to audio, or if you're delivering it in a sales meeting or from stage, it doesn't matter what medium you're using to tell your story. When you're telling it, you have to tell it like you're there, like you're living it. So it might be the first time you've told it. It might be the 101st time you've told it. Or it might be that you never lived it. You're, you're telling a metaphor. You're telling a story about the, the hair and the tortoise. Who knows? But you have to 
uh, embed yourself back into the characters. So you, if you were there, the fox, the hare, the tortoise, whatever the, the creature is in the metaphor or the, the analogy, so that the you living it really comes across in the story. That will help to bring the emotion across so that the people who are who are listening or reading the story become as involved as you do. And there's a scene in Inception where Ariadne and uh, and Cobb, so Leonardo DiCaprio and, and Ellen or Elliot, Elliot Page, as he is now, go into the dream world for the first time where Cobb is teaching Ariadne how to build a dream. And she's not fully there. She's kind of half there, half not. And the people in the dream start to, uh, or the, the, the kind of the, the imaginary people in the dream, the subconscious of Cobb, start to realise that she's not fully there, she's not fully embedded in the dream, and they start to attack her because they realise that she's not fully invested. And it's the same for us when we tell a story. We have to be fully involved in the story. We have to be fully emotionally invested in the story. It makes us a bit vulnerable, and that's okay. But we have to be there because uh, we have to bring everybody else into the dream with us, into the story with us, and that will engage them fully and keep us engaged with them. Nice. So, Paul, if somebody wants to get your book or reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? So the book, Rule the World, is available at any good bookstore, including Amazon. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm there as Paul Furlong, M-C-I-M. I think the hashtag, uh, sorry, the, the forward slash uh, LinkedIn is Paul Furlong Opus, O-P-U-S. Yeah, that's probably the best two ways. LinkedIn uh, and the book is on Amazon uh, or any other good bookstore. Perfect. Well, thank you for so much for coming on the show today to share a little more about storytelling. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.